Welcome to This Week in Common Sense. Now, there are a lot of common sense programs out there, but Paul has been writing Common Sense with Paul Jacobs since 1999, and you can find it at thisiscommonsense.org. This podcast is devoted to the big stories of the week, as they have appeared at thisiscommonsense.org. Paul writes an article a day, every weekday, and on the weekends, we just go over the five stories. Right now, Paul is on the road. He's working really hard. I'm not even sure he's awake right now, or if he's awake, he's barely hanging on. It's very hard work arranging an initiative in the state of Michigan. So that's what he's doing. And I am going to instead uh, talk about the five pieces and also the seven thoughts of the day we put up on the website. At least mention them, because these are something that you can, every day in your in-basket, you can see a, a thought of the day, a meme, as they say. It's just a quotation, usually from a rather famous person, but sometimes from a not-so-famous person. Last Saturday, we had uh, Jean-Jacques Rousseau, and Jean-Jacques Rousseau said, To renounce liberty is to renounce being a man, to surrender the rights of humanity and even its duties. Now, I like that quote. I don't trust Rousseau very far, but I did like that quote in part because... He combined talk about rights and duties, and no right makes any sense without a corresponding duty. Some duty applies. And it does have something to do with being a human being, and that was an Enlightenment idea, and I still hold to the ideas of the Enlightenment. I know they're not so popular anymore, left or right. On Sunday, I quoted Abraham Herbert. So what can you say about Abraham Herbert? Here was a politician who read the... uh, writer Herbert Spencer in the 19th century, and then realized that what he was doing was wrong, (laughs) and he stopped doing it, and he became a proselytizer for liberty in a very strict sense, and a very interesting man, and he made a very interesting contention here. Force is the very weakest and most treacherous of all human implements. It's the most treacherous, and it is weak in one sense, but very strong in another. So there was some interesting conversation on the Facebook page about that quotation. And the Facebook page is Common Sense with Paul Jacob. Just search for Common Sense with Paul Jacob and you can find it on Facebook. Now, the rest of the week had some interesting quotes. Jacob Burkhardt, the great historian. Nothing in the world is better suited to laziness than orthodoxy. It's hard not to think about the orthodoxies of our own age. And, oh, look at this. We may have Paul Jacob on the line. Hi. Oh. Hey, man. You're on the road and you've been busy and you're probably exhausted uh, like you were last I two weeks. I am exhausted, but, you know, sometimes it's a late, you know, I'm loopy. So, so who knows what good thing I might say. Okay. Let, well, let me, uh, let me jump right into this week because I'm a media junkie kind of. I mean, the media's gotten so bad that I'm I'm less so than I once was, but I still, I love media. But it's, I've been working so much, I just have not followed things. And so some story I'll hit, oh, I didn't know this happened, you know. Uh, and, but, you know, every once in a while, I'll just turn it on to see what's happening. Well, there's a shooting. And that's the only thing that's happened in the world this week. And it's a horrible, terrible thing. And of course, you know, you can't think about it without, you know, having some pretty strong emotions. 
And, and of course I'm so busy that, you know, it was like, I'm, I'm not going to sit down and go, I think I'll write something about this. So, um, so I, I, I wrote something on Facebook, <laughs> you know, I didn't have time to polish it, but uh, it just, it, it was all about guns. And of course, you know, that there, this is a shooting guns do shootings, except guns never do it without somebody else involved. And, uh, and, and so here's what I said now, then, uh, then you can ask me questions about it. No, then I'll, uh, I'll, I'll say more. And I, I'm going to have to put on my glasses. Oh, my goodness, because I can't see it. Um, if we want to prevent more mass shootings. Oh, so brilliantly written. No, anyway. If we want to prevent more mass shootings, we ought not waste time advocating actions that we already know would not have stopped this mass shooting or virtually any other such murder spree. Gun regulation, even to the point of no private ownership of guns, isn't magic and has serious political consequences that I'm not willing to accept. Gun control laws, short of banning all guns, are political victories, not solutions to the violence. Virtue signaling also doesn't help at all. Two things come to mind. First, these killers have serious and often completely untreated mental health issues. Concentrate there. Second, though some dismiss the value of hopes and prayers, I do not. There is a social, emotional, spiritual element to this that I think we totally discard when all we can talk about is what a bunch of corrupt folks in Washington must do to solve our problems. And so, uh, so there you have it. I mean, everyone agreed. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. It struck me that immediately Washington jumps into um, guns. We have to, as if we've known all along that if we just passed this law, that when you look at the fine print of the law, everyone admits wouldn't have had any impact whatsoever on this. But if we just passed it, then lives would be saved. And of course, those those contradict each other. But that's the push. And, and you could intellectually say, well, what they really are aiming toward is to ban all guns. As if you could just magically wave a wand and nobody would have guns. Police would still have guns. And of course, you know, we had a... a summer of protest about police violence and police. We, you know, we need to defund the police and, and the police are a huge problem. And in fact, there is huge problems when people die, that's a huge problem. And, and there's a, a policing problem in America, largely driven by politicians passing laws that cause the police to be involved in all kinds of things they shouldn't be involved in and have all kinds of powers and weapons and materials that they shouldn't have. The, the human nature of police has not changed between now and 10 years ago or 20 or 100. And so, but the laws and the powers they have. Anyway, I digress on that. But, but they, they believe at one point, here's another huge contradiction, that the police are this dangerous force. And then 
believe that only the police should have guns and the rest of society should be disarmed. And, and of course, it's not so easy to do, but unless you go there, the assault weapons ban doesn't stop someone from getting a bunch of ammo and having a, you know, a, a pretty powerful deadly rifle or something else. And, and yet that's how it's always talked about. And you would think the watchdog media would say, well, let's, let's give the people the straight, the straight on this. Let's do some facts and let's point out that they're doing this contradiction. But no, because again, remember the media doesn't want us to know any facts that would cause us to vote differently than they want us to vote. And that's probably the simplest way to, to say it. They're not going to tell us anything, even if it's true and essential for the way we believe that if we had this knowledge, we would thank our lucky stars that we had it. They won't give it to us if they think it'll make us vote differently than they want us to vote. So, um, so of course we get all guns and we've got some, and, and let's think we pass this, we, the assault weapons ban, we do this, we do that. You can only have this much ammo. There's a check everywhere you go. Would it have stopped this shooting? No. Would it, is there any other shooting it would have stopped? It's like the, the gun show loophole. We've got to close the gun. And, and we can argue one way or the other. I just always recall that they don't ever point to any killing that came from someone buying the gun at a gun show. And, and so it's like on all of these things, or, or we need a background check on every person. And that's some of the private sales. They still should have to have a background check and so on. And you can, you can argue that, but the idea is that if we had that, that, that these killings would stop. And of course we know from this one right in front of us that no, that wouldn't have had any impact on this. So it's, that's depressing, but it's more depressing in that then everyone in, out here in America land has to like virtue signal and, and, you know, attack their neighbor as if their neighbor's political position was responsible for this guy going and murdering a bunch of children and two teachers. I mean, really? Really? That's what it was? It was that someone has an NRA bumper sticker on the back of their car. That's, that's what led to this guy shooting people. No, this guy has a serious, serious problem. And, and I'm not for big government taking care of us cradle to grave, but I would suggest as a society, as a social group of people, that we are not handling mental health very well that we don't seem to want to recognize that, you know, there are some people who are, uh, are functioning in ways that you can kind of see they might go off in, in violent or other ways. And, and again, the suggestion here is an, okay, we need some massive state that tells us, oh, we've decided in the future you're going to commit some crime. There are families all over America crying out for some help for family members who i mean we we see it on the on some of these shootings where you almost think well why would this family call the police to try to control their son or their uncle or whoever it is well they do it because they're out of control and they need help 
And, and instead of being thoughtful, either on the bleeding heart left or on the, you know, we, we need mm-hmm. something to buck these people up right or however you want to look at it, we have almost no discussion even about we've got a problem with people deciding that they're so angry at society, they're so screwed up in one way or another. And I don't mean that in a nasty way. There's they're not functioning well. There's a screw loose. And and it can be super dangerous. And most families are not geared. It's not like you every family has their own, you know, kind of social worker or doctor or psychiatrist or and and you know someone who is capable of doing these sorts of things is pretty hard to probably hard to control and and so it just seems like we ought to at least have the discussion with each other geez maybe we can help in some way maybe the maybe the the person down the street with that kid that's just a little weird that's kind of how we used to say it maybe we need to be thoughtful about well you know, maybe we can help that family in some way. Maybe we can just be good neighbors. Maybe it's always, what can we do? Well, we can pass some stupid law that has no impact whatsoever, but further some political agenda. And we can talk about it and that can be all over our television sets instead of what I think people need and not just the people who lost somebody, but the whole country. I think there's a lot of people who feel that that we are not socially together in the way that we used to be. And maybe I'm just an old codger and that's the way you think when you get old, I worry about that, but it just looks that way to me. I I remember being in your state many, many years ago and and I was at a pool at a, at a, a hotel and some kids were jumping in and causing problems and so on. And it's the sort of thing in my day when I was a kid that would have been solved in about five seconds. Because one of the dads there would have said, if the mom didn't beat him to it, you are not going to do this. You're going to get out of here or you're going to behave yourself. And, uh, and this went on. And finally, I like said something to these two boys and, and, but I just thought that's so weird that, you know, it was, it was, and they weren't, I wasn't kind of in the same exact area. So they weren't bothering me so much, but I could see them bothering other people jumping right on top of them to splash the old lady or whatever. That's, you know, that's not really what you want people to do. And when I was a kid, you were a kid, it just didn't happen because people would have stepped up. And, and when they stepped up, everyone around them would have gone, that's exactly right. We don't put up with that kind of behavior. And today we do. And it's not, it's not love that stops us from saying something to the kid that's misbehaving. It's love that makes us say something. You're not doing that kid any favors by being in your own world and saying, well, I would never want to step on anybody else's toes. We need people to, to say, if you're doing wrong, they're kids. And adults used to be adults. It wasn't just your parents who were kind of adults. There were a whole bunch of them all over the place. And they're, they're gone. 
they're not they're not around anymore. There's a bunch of people over 18. There's a bunch of people drawing Social Security and, and Medicare, but but there's not enough adults. And and we don't have any of those discussions. So it's it's you know, that's you know, in, in being kind of busy and not really paying attention very much, it's amazing how much you emote the, you know, this is when, when, when you know something like this is going on, and, and literally I've watched almost none of it, but you just catch discussion and, you know, and you think about it. And, and so it's, the problem isn't that people are fixated on this. The problem is we were given no outlet except stupidity and Washington, D.C., and some political fight. And all the people who, all the politicians who want to talk about the kids and so on, it's the most, it's just the most sickening thing in the world because they don't care about the kids at all. And, and I just have to say, I, you know, that may sound like a personal attack. I'm sure there's some people in Washington, there's some politicians who do care. I, <laughs> it's hard to find them, though. And the worst group of people I have ever met, and, I, and I've met a couple I really like, but the worst group of people I've ever met are people holding office in Congress. And, and this tragedy happens, and boom, overnight. Uh, not overnight, immediately, they are all over it for their own political gain. And it's sickening. I think it's actually kind of worse than sickening. I think it's maddening. Um, because we talk about these crazy, mad, uh, lunatic, whatever they are, uh, disturbed, that's a nice, n- nicer term, shooters. And they are obviously those things. Um, and it's a mental health problem. But why do they turn to shooting to get attention? Or well, it's, first off, it's usually a suicide by cop, so yeah. th- it's engaging in some sort of suicidal behavior. Yeah. So that's always an interesting question because, according to you know, according to logic, if a person has given up on life, then why would they respect others' lives? So that you can see what the, that's always it should be all our fears. That's the reason we should be concerned when somebody's suicidal, is that at some level they might become homicidal too. So that's a problem, but. Because it's a political football, it's because it's a political argument, because it's a political, uh, just a huge, it's a circus, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a right, it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's just this, this thing that happens in the media. Because it's that, that channels the mad to do the very thing that we are allegedly against. And the immediate going to a political take rather than the thoughts and prayers, you were talking about thoughts and prayers, well... Thoughts and prayers is better because it doesn't encourage the mad to commit uh, to be homicidal at the moment of being suicidal. But having a political hate fest, you know, hate the NRA, hate this, that does encourage the mad to do a specific kind of thing because now they will have an impact on the world as they go out. And to me, this is one of the worst things about politics in this realm is that it makes us all a little bit mad and it makes the mad homicidal. That would be my argument. As well said, too. Uh, no, it, it we we've written stuff before uh, talking about the you know a lot of times folks won't mention the name of someone who does this. That it's almost 
this is almost if you want to go out in a blaze and you're, you know, uh, what's the name? Uh, a sociopath. Um, this is, you know, this is your way. It's become your way. And it's and it's 24 seven, you know, wall to wall media coverage for you. Kind of tough on the on the on the mom and dad, though. It certainly is. Now, the other issue associated with this particular event this week has been uh, the growing information about how bad the police acted in their official capacity, is that they waited around a long time before they did anything, and they seemed like cowards. This is a problem with police generally. But there were police <laughs> and a border guard and a few people and some parents who broke the you know police barrier around the school and rescued some children. I, it was interesting that it was a border you know, uh, department folks who, who did it. I also did, I remember seeing something uh, where they were saying that parents were saying, you've got to do something to the police, but I can't imagine more than a minute after saying you've got to do something and realizing they didn't do something, they would have to stop me from going to do something. I mean, I can't imagine my child being in that school and not, deciding I'm going to go, you know, I mean, and you could be killed. Well, you know what? That's, that's yeah. my job as a parent to make sure that that kid doesn't get killed. There were women who went in the, in the, in the, in the school and rescued children uh, against police orders. And there was, of course, a woman arrested for trying to do so. I see. I have not heard any of this. So when I say I'm ignorant of any media, I'm, I'm telling the truth, folks. Yeah, I have not studied it uh, because these are, Many of these are so similar, and it gets very depressing. Uh, so I'm, I'm uh, more, you know, I, I spend more of my time depressing myself with the coming food shortages, uh, hyperinflation, and breakdown of civilization. So, uh, which is my main concern these days, and I think that's going to affect us all in a much deeper way. But uh, we'll see how this all goes. Uh, the, the police inexpertise waiting for the SWAT team to to, uh, to get there. It, it looks really bad, uh, but many people are acknowledging what you've mentioned before, is that the Supreme Court has decided police have no positive duty to do any specific act uh, to uphold the law or to save anybody, especially to save right. anybody. They aren't really security forces. My argument for years has been is the job of the police is obviously garbage bin. Uh, that is, they clean up messes. And you have to have garbage bin, and and uh, and I don't want to be anti-police when I say it, but they are garbage bin, and they're not. Most of them aren't trained to you know be heroes; they're trained to be garbage bin, and so they take out the trash. They you know after the event, they clean up the mess and take the people to prison if they think they're going to prosecute somebody and so forth. But that's not. But if you want security forces, you should really hire security forces. Maybe there's some truth to that, I think. But but here's the one thing that they have is training in firearms use. And and most people don't. I don't. Um, now, I'm sure I'd be very good at it. But uh, but anyway, I'm just kidding. Um, they they know a lot of times when it's when a citizen gets involved and, and does something with a gun. They were trained in the army. They were trained as a policeman. They were, you know, in, a, in other words, it's, and, and the truth is from a, from a defense standpoint here, this, this uh, draft resistor will say, 
I'd love to see a government willing to train people in firearms use. It would make for a far safer society and it would make for a far more defensible society. Although, you know, hundred million handguns and, and rifles and, and private ownership in the United States is a, uh, is a good thing and and is something that any any would-be invader who uh sneaks across one or the other oceans would uh would would not want to face we may be the only country in the world where the people have more firepower in a real way than their government and uh the week before this or the before the week before the week before this, there was a case of a uh, woman, I believe, who shot an intruder and killed him. And the police, the local police said, this is what we like to see. <laughs> he actually praised the, the, the homeowner. And, and he was, he was actually uh, very enthusiastic and defensive. This is, there's no charges being considered. He went all down the line. He was exactly what we want a police person to do when it comes to self-defense, because as people increasingly across the board are realizing when they're not in the, you know, partisan hackery game that it defense is for us. The state isn't, even in classical liberal theory, the state isn't there to protect us so much as bring order to the process of cleaning up messes. Yes, that's a good point because it really is true in a lot of ways. It's, it's you know, the, the police don't break up a lot of murders and rapes and robberies. They catch people afterwards and they penalize those people, hopefully in a way that would cause other people to go, Geez, I was thinking about robbing that bank, but I guess I won't. People really nowadays don't recognize how recent police forces are. You know, in Britain, there wasn't a police force as such until the Bobbies of Robert Peel, the Robert Peel administration, I think of the 1830s. Uh, that's why they're called Bobbies, because of Robert Peel, the, the prime minister at the time. And in America, uh, arresting somebody was a private affair. You took him to the bailiff or you took him to the sheriff, but the sheriff didn't arrest very many people. You actually had to get this stuff done yourself. So uh, the origins of what we think of normal policing and so forth, uh, much of that, the professionalization is comparatively recent. It's younger than a republic. Well, speaking of policing, we uh, we started the week talking about the rebellion in Shanghai, which... Uh, a lot of Chinese people living in Shanghai are getting tired of lockdowns. Funny, funny how that works. Seems like people everywhere don't be don't like being locked down or locked up or whatever, which is basically what's happening there. Encourage you to go read Rebellion in Shanghai. That was Monday. But we ended the week with another one about China. Uh, Xinjiang's hacked police files. And speaking of police. The police in Xinjiang, uh, which which uh, is the uh, region where Uyghurs and and uh, other ethnic minorities live, kind of in the far northwest of China, um, you know, most people who've looked into it uh, are pretty convinced that there is a huge genocide going on, and by genocide, it's not just you don't have to kill everyone for it to be a genocide. When you decide to sterilize a population so that it can't uh, grow and maintain itself, 
when you decide to browbeat them out of their religion and out of their language and out of all these things are genocide. And of course, when you rape and kill them, that's also a genocide. And frankly, all of those things have happened with the Uyghurs in China. And you know, it's wrong. And, and we may not be able to do anything about it, but it's still wrong. And we ought not celebrate it, fund it, go to parties with it, worry about having great relationships with it. You know, there, I just saw a poll uh, someone sent me and, and uh, asking Americans about uh, should, should American policy be geared toward stopping China from invading Taiwan or more geared toward good relations with China. And, you know, it kind of seems funny to say you don't want good relations with anybody, but I don't want good relations with a CCP-run China. I don't want good relations with the mob. I don't want them thinking I'm their best friend. Uh, murderers, rapists, uh, genocidal maniac tyrants. I'm not really interested in having super good relations with them. I don't want to send them flowers on their birthday. I'd like to send flowers maybe when their funeral comes. Um, but, but anyway back to these hacked police files. So now we, we, don't have to, we don't have to go by all kinds of analysis and individuals who've gotten out of there, who've told the just horrific tales of what it's like to be in, in and, and you know, I call them Chinazis sometimes. I try not to do it too much because I get blowback from people. Well, now you're going a little far, Paul. But this is Nazi-like behavior when you have, when you torture, rape, kill uh, people of a certain ethnic, you know, uh, uh, ethnicity, when you, you know, or a certain religion or a certain whatever, you know, if you decide to kill everybody with, you know, red hair, it's just, it, it kind of harkens back to the Nazis Trying to kill all the Jews and gypsies and, you know, they had a, they had a list. It started with Jews. Um, these are not good things. And, and we see in these, in all these files that have been released, one of the things I thought was most interesting is they admit that basically if you are in this camp, you're only moved between buildings with, you know, with uh, your, your, head covered in shackles, any attempt to escape is, is to be killed. I mean, and, and you, you know, the pictures of these, which are, you know, re-education, trying to get them ready for the workforce of the future. Well, they do have the, you know, the razor wire and the barbed wire and the big walls. And these are prison camps. We don't have to be idiots. And, and it, we didn't need this dump of, their own files talking about it. But it's kind of like people in, in, you know, during our lifetimes have talked a lot about, you know, well, people knew, well, they didn't know what was going on with the Holocaust. Yes, they did know, or that, well, I, and I'm no, I'm no expert scholar on that. I don't know. We can debate that sometime, but we know today, we know what they're doing. We know enough about it to know that we don't want any part of it, that it, it, to be any part of it. It's like, it's like, you know, you think of the 36 games, Olympic games in Germany, and you think, well, should we have gone ashore? Well, it's different going then. 
would we go today? Knowing what we know, would we send a team to the Olympics? I mean, if it was up to us, would we want to go there to see the team in Berlin? Knowing what was going to happen? I don't think so. And yet we sent people to China and we did a diplomatic boycott or whatever. That All the diplomacy, the, the whole the strategic, well, we also had this past week, uh, Biden again say, yes, we will defend Taiwan. Yes, we're committed to it. We've made a commitment. It's like that. It's not just the second. It's, I think the second is president. He said um, he has said numerous times that sort of thing. Well, I think so. I, I'm, I'm glad that the U.S. government that has like soldiers everywhere and is, has pledged to defend everybody you know you can think of in Asia is actually thinking, oh, we might have to do it. But it's 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 the sort of thing where. Um, I, I look at where we are in the, in the world and we have made so many commitments and we now are being pushed and we, we talk about Russia and I think that's, that's, it's easy to see that, look, they invaded. You, you don't do that. So I know who I think is in the wrong there, but that's an area of the world that I think Russia is, is not going very far. One, they, they have the GNP of a GDP or whatever, whatever the latest term is, uh, of Italy. You know, they're not going to take over all of Europe. But China is a huge threat to all of Asia. And, and we have this policy that we can't even, you know, it's, it's diplomatic crap. It's, it's strategic ambiguity. What does that mean? And, and, of course, if the American people look out, I'm not going to conscript any American to go fight anybody anywhere. Uh, I'm not going to take your wallet and use it to fund any war anywhere. But there are times to step up and, and fight. And it seems I, my biggest fear is that we're headed to a World War III. And, and China is a huge, huge danger. When you run your country in such a way that you can commit genocides fairly easily and often and continually. That's a dangerous country. And, and they are threatening all the time to cross the Taiwan Strait and take over a country that is, what, 60, 50% of all computer chips and like 60 or 70% of the high end. And I, I could be understating that. Um, most sophisticated computer chips. And I think about the, the way the U.S. has patted itself on the back. I'm talking about our political leaders, not, not real people. You know, Biden, others, we've put those tough sanctions and so on. Now, it hasn't stopped Russia yet from, from its invasion and its goals. It stopped some. But, of course, I don't think it's the sanctions that stopped them. It's the, it's the weapons. I like the president going, I need weapons, weapons, and weapons. That's, in when you think about Taiwan, no sanctions. If, if, if militarily China takes Taiwan, there's no sanctions that are going to get them to give it up. And there are no high-end computer chips that are going to be shipped to China's enemies. And so it's pretty serious stuff, I think, right now. 
And I, I, I see the world has woken up a lot. I've pointed it out many times as we've talked a lot about Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. The protests in Hong Kong, I think, I'm, I hope, I pray, will be looked back on as the incident, months-long incident, many broken and bruised bodies. Uh, it, it woke up the world. It woke up Taiwan in a, in a, in a very big way. Uh, but they woke up the whole world about what's happening in China. And, and I just wonder, are we fast enough to prepare and defend ourselves so that China doesn't invade Taiwan? Because I don't think their leaders are insane. Um, if they think it's not going to work, they, they probably won't do it. But we had other stuff. Please come to thisiscommonsense.org and... Let me finish Paul Jacobs' thought. Come to thisiscommonsense.org and read Paul Jacob five days a week and comment on his articles. And on the website, sign up for the daily email so you can get not only the daily commentary, but the thought of the day and a recognition of the date itself, as we call it the today. And uh, let me finish this podcast by going through the articles Paul didn't cover and then finish reciting the uh, what's left of the thoughts of the week. On Tuesday, we quoted Lin Yutang from China, early part of the 20th century, who wrote, In this present age of threats to democracy and individual liberty, probably only the scamp and the spirit of the scamp alone will save us from being lost in serially numbered units in the masses of disciplined, obedient, regimented, and uniform coolies. The scamp will be the last and most formidable enemy of dictatorships. He will be the champion of human dignity and individual freedom and will be the last to be conquered. Well, maybe we need more scamps. That was my thought when I read that. On Wednesday, we quoted Ludwig von Mises. And here he's talking about the uh, socialists who talk about the inevitability of socialism or how it's demanded by the people. And here he goes. It is a lame excuse of the intellectuals that they must yield to the masses. They themselves have generated the socialist ideas and indoctrinated the masses with them. No proletarian or son of a proletarian has contributed to the elaboration of the interventionist and socialist programs. Their authors were all of bourgeois background. To go from the Austrian Mises to the American Milton Friedman, here we are, Thursdays. The fundamental threat to freedom is power to coerce, be it in the hands of a monarch, a dictator, an oligarchy, or a momentary majority. The preservation of freedom requires the elimination of such concentration of power to the fullest possible extent, and the dispersal and distribution of whatever power cannot be eliminated, a system of checks and balances. And finally for Friday, we end with Lin Yutang. When small men begin to cast big shadows, it means that the sun is about to set. The three pieces Paul did not mention that he wrote this week were, on Tuesday, the J. Edgar's threat tags. And this is largely about an unfortunate turn of events with the ongoing problems with Merrick Garland and the FBI's surveillance of parents. It was shown that they did surveil parents who were complaining to school boards for 
not only critical race theory, but, oh, get this, mask mandates. And so they were considered potential terrorists. That shows the attitudes of the administration, certainly. On Wednesday, the title is FYI, Ram Musk. That is, for your information regarding Musk. And here we have just a list of things that pluses on Musk's side. Paul concludes by saying, Musk's record isn't perfect, but chances are that the help he's seeking will be used in a good cause. And finally, on Thursday, the enforcers of conformity. And this is about what happened to one professor. Another one of these stories about the Academy going crazy, PC. Okay, so that was the week, the last week of May 2022. My name is Timothy Vergola. I'm signing off. This is the end of the podcast. See you at thisiscommonsense.org next week. Mm-hmm.